It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening. As you know, it's so consequential. Ever since Election Day, uh, it's just heating up all around the world. Jake Wood's going to be with us. This is Veterans Day. Time to salute those who fight and wear the war and wear the uniform. Uh, He is CEO of Team Rubicon, author of the new book, Once a Warrior, How One Veteran Found a New Mission Closer to Home. Helps out so much. You're going to love this story. And then Andrew McCarthy will make sense of what's going on with these election lawsuits around the country. What Andy McCarthy said yesterday, who was once deputy director of the FBI, still trying to explain himself with the whole Russia probe, does not fly with me. And we did cover some of that during the show. You got a great veteran story if you are a veteran. I got some of my mass market uh, books of Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. I think you'll love this part of American history, and I'm going to be giving it away. So the the first uh, 10 uh, veterans who call the show today, and I'm just taking your word on it, veterans do not lie, one 408 7669 Contribute to the show, and I'll, the least I could do is sign and send you a book. If you want it, I'm sure you do. Uh, let's go to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're just 11 days into the month of November, and in that time alone, the United States has surpassed 1 million new coronavirus cases. And another staggering figure this morning, our country saw more than 61,000 hospitalizations in just one day. Uh, It is pretty uh, stunning, too, no matter what uh, reads it. That is CBS. COVID-19 cases rising in just about every state as... Uh, as vaccines and therapeutics breakthrough rise through the market, that is great. We just need them now. What will it take to avoid another lockdown everywhere? Number two. This is the most radical movement in the history of the United States. So South Carolina and Georgia won't matter. New York and California pick everything. The people yeah. running in Georgia are the most extreme candidates in the history of Georgia. Purdue and Leffler are the best check and balance on the most no, radical gotta, agenda gotta in the happen. history of the country. Balance of power. Republicans astonishingly blow past 200 seats in the House as their deficit with Pelosi shrinks to historic levels. And Republicans win another Senate seat big time. Tom Tillis in North Carolina, an upset as he gets six more years. Now all eyes on two fights in Georgia. We'll preview. Number one. Every time we file a lawsuit, we do so because we believe the lawsuit has merit and because we believe that we will win it. Tim Murtaugh, he's uh, on a press call yesterday talking about the lawsuits filed in about five states. Holding on. Lawsuits filed and filed and dismissed. 10 over for 10, I should say, the Trump team is. They try to show widespread election fraud. But while his GOP allies stand strong, Biden's team chafes and the anti-Trump media overheats. What else is new? I don't blame the president for fighting this out. My goodness, Hillary Clinton still hasn't accepted him. Jimmy Carter, he's not authentic. Jerry Nadler, he's not a real president. I'm not going. The great John Lewis, he is not my president. They chanted that through New York City streets. Tell me if you've heard that chant anywhere. No, you haven't. So it's been about a week. The Republicans stand strong and the lawyers are going to work. The president today will be seen first time in a long time in the open. He's not going to be expected to say anything, but he's going to commemorate at 11 o'clock at 11-11-11 uh, Veterans Day. Those who lost their lives, that's how World War I ended. 
But clearly, the Biden people are upset. The GSO hasn't written them a $10 million check. They don't have the office space. They're not getting their daily briefings. Why? Because the president's not convinced he lost. Why? Because he got over 70 million votes. He surged like nobody ever surged. He won Election Day and gradually lost the mail-in ballots, which he was against to begin with. You know this president. You know he's going to have a hard time digesting that. Here's Joe Biden. Cut one. I just think it's an embarrassment. Quite frankly, uh, the only thing that, uh, how can I say this uh, tactfully? I I think it will not help the president's legacy. I think that uh, I know from my discussions with foreign leaders thus far that they are hopeful that the United States democratic institutions are viewed once again as being strong and enduring. Okay, first off. You're talking to foreign countries? Really? I wonder if the FBI is listening to those conversations. At any point, Joe, did you bring up to Germany? I don't know. Uh, don't worry about it. We're not going to—I'm going to put the troops back in the bases. Did you mention anything to the Polish leader? Did he call you? Did you mention that you're not going to be putting anybody at this new Trump campus, uh, military facility, that you're building for him? I don't know. When you talk to Saudi Arabia, did you tell him you're getting back to the Iranian deal? One president at a time. Isn't it amazing the double standard, making casual calls, the FBI listening in with the Trump team? Team, got Michael Flynn talking to Russia not to overreact to sanctions that a suddenly zealous Obama administration was upset that the Russia was doing stuff in the election. By the way, 2020 shows 2016 was on the up and up because he did better this time. Also, you know that racist president? He got 13 percent of the black vote, almost double what Mitt Romney got. And that racist president almost doubled the Hispanic vote that Romney and McCain got. So understand, I'm being sarcastic. He's not and never was. But he doesn't pander. That's your problem. Pennsylvania, President trails by 47,000. I don't know if he found the fraud to get that level there. Michigan, he's upset. He can't believe he lost there. 145,000 votes are the difference. Can he make that up? Why he hasn't gotten North Carolina, I don't know. It makes no sense, but he's up 37,000. Wisconsin, 20,000 plus. He wants a recount there. He thinks he's going to come out on top. He just tweeted that, and I think it's automatic. Georgia, excuse me, Arizona, he is now down by 12,813. He was down by about 24,000. So whittling away, whittling away, whittling away, which is probably why CNN hasn't called that race yet. Hmm. Interesting. So why is the president fighting this out? Well, morning con- I, I'm, I'm hesitant to give you polls, but this is so overwhelming, I'll share it with you. The political morning consult poll done November 6th to the 9th. Among Republicans who believe the election was not fair, 78% says mail-in voting led to widespread voter fraud. 78%. Republicans do believe the 2020 election was free and fair. When asked, 26% say yes. 70% say no. And even in this time of... Uh, Persuasion polls. It's hard to run from those numbers. And there's going to be a big rally for the president on the 14th. MAGA rally. Look, fight it out. I'm holding it in my hand. If you're watching Fox Nation, all the all the litigation that's been filed in five or six separate states. There's a lot of questions. And Marco Rubio, cut seven, has some doubts. At the core of our Republicans, legitimacy comes from people's confidence in the elections. And right now, you've got half this country that has doubts about 
the veracity of this election. And that's why the process that exists in the law, there's a process in the law that exists after the election, before the results are certified, that process is, has to be allowed to move forward. Otherwise, we're going to have a result here that half the country will harbor significant doubts about. And that's bad for the country. Don't you agree? It's bad for the country. So, and I'll go over that, and we'll be taking your calls on that one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. So, the transition needs to take place, but it's not an emergency. There's a lot they can do without government money on the transition. They got a name, they got an interview. They said they can't do background checks. All right, that's fine. Uh, but after thirty seven days, the Bush administration was ready to go. President Bush had a lot of experience around him. So, old Joe Biden, if indeed he does in fact prevail. I'm very curious to see the president's mindset. We're seeing a lot of reports and a lot of tweets, but we're not hearing a lot from him. Mike Pompeo came out and said, we can transition well from one Trump administration to the next. I get it. So voter fraud, voter fraud how much do they have? Reince Priebus is in charge of collecting a lot of it. Cut 22. Where things do get dicey as far as do I have the ability to bring a case to the Supreme Court that alleges I've got 10 votes here in Wisconsin that are, we know are fraud, and the court's looking at it and say, wait a minute, but you lost by 19,000. Well, the court's probably not going to take jurisdiction over that case. It doesn't mean you don't have standing to bring it. It just means that the U.S. Supreme Court's probably not going to listen to it. Right. Uh, you can bring it, and every, every foul vote uh, negates yours. That should bother you, shouldn't it? Yeah. Okay, now uh, on the Senate side. Yesterday, Tom Tillis, who was not winning in any poll, they said, wow, this scandal with Cal Cunningham doesn't really matter. Tom Tillis had COVID virus. He's very unpopular. He wins by two votes. Cal Cunningham phoned it in yesterday. He concedes. Tom Tillis, quote, I'm incredibly humbled by the chance to serve the people of North Carolina six more years. President's going to win North Carolina if they would just give it to him. Then he's going to win Alaska if they would just officially give it to him and get off that 214 threshold. When I looked at the House race, on the Senate side, too, when I'll get into that, get this. In the House, I could not believe this number. They're up to 201. Someone said 203 to 218. This is the slimmest majority, I think, since 1958 for the Democrats. That 218 gives you a majority. So Nancy Pelosi's going to run for speaker, and she'll get the majority. But you still have, like, 15 other seats still out there. It's incredible how off the polls were, how good Kevin McCarthy did. They said they were going to lose. They're going to get blown out. They're going to get dozens of seats, and McCarthy would never be speaker. This guy is within a breath of being speaker, and he earned it. Picked the right people, great candidates, and the American people have seen enough. So we'll see where this goes. We're going to talk to Jake Wood in just a moment on Veterans Day. Uh, He's got a great mission, and, of course, we can't forget about veterans. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze 
to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. In the early dawn of D Day, June 6, 1944, the largest battle armada in history heads across 80 miles of rough channel water from England to the northern coast of France. Barrage balloons and a massive concentration of air and surface guns protect the 4,000 warships, transports, barges, crafts of every kind in the invasion convoy. Here is the major striking force of the greatest military undertaking the world has yet known. And there you hear World War II, D-Day. I wanted to give you a sense of uh, all the great men and women who have fought for this country. Jake Wood joins us now. He's one of them, CEO of Team Rubicon and author of a new book, Once a Warrior, How One Veteran Found a New Mission Closer to Home After uh, Bloody Tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. He's now helping out people after earthquakes, natural events. Uh, you know, natural phenomenon from earthquakes to hurricanes. Uh, he goes out there with his team and does what they do best, what they were trained to do, act great in, in the clutch and help people out. Uh, Jake, welcome, and uh, happy Veterans Day to you. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to join you today. Jake, after serving, does this become a holiday for you? Does this uh, a special day? You know, it is a special day. I, I, I spend a lot of time reflecting just on the quality of men that I served with in the Marine Corps. You know, I, I served in an infantry unit, so I say men, obviously, you know, men and women. Um, but it's also for me a day that, that kind of serves as a call to action. Um, you know, I see Veterans Day as an opportunity to, to demonstrate to America what we're still capable of. And so, you know, we like to say at Team Rubicon that we don't spend the day marching in parades. Uh, we, we're out in the, you know, 
out in the field, helping the community, uh, showing people what we got. Four years in the Marines, you learn a lot about uh, a lot about discipline, a lot about leadership. When you come back home, a lot of that's amorphous. You said you lost more guys to suicide than you did actually out in the field. How did that feed into becoming Team uh, Rubicon? Yeah, well, you're right. You know, my my battalion served two really bloody tours in Iraq and Afghanistan at the height of the war. And we lost a lot of Marines overseas. And when we came back, we lost more men to com- to suicide than combat, to include my sniper partner and best friend, Clay Hunt. Um, and, you know, that was a tragedy. And when the dust settled from his from his death, I think it just forced me to kind of reckon with my life and determine who and what I wanted to be. And I really just in that moment committed to building Team Rubicon into something special, something big, something that would scale and impact more veterans in their lives and give them the opportunity to continue to be of service to America, even if they're not wearing the uniform you know, of the military. You like uh, situations that require emergency action, it seems. So you've recruited Form <laughs> Team Rubicon, 130,000 volunteers. So when we see floods hit Texas, look for Team Rubicon. When we see floods hit Florida uh, and hurricanes hit Florida, which, by the way, could be happening this weekend, look for Team Rubicon. Right. And you guys are purely uh, – are you fueled by sponsors as well as donations? Yeah, we're, we're fueled entirely by philanthropy. We don't take any government money. Uh, we don't charge anybody for our services. We rely on, you know, corporate America, but as well as you know, individual Americans all across the country to to fuel our efforts. Um, we like to say that there's a dozen things more important to us than money. They unfortunately all just cost money. How is this like fighting a war when you when you're up against the flooding that basically took out all of Houston, and you're trying to get people out of their homes or back into their homes when the uh, safely when the water recedes? How is it like being in Iraq and Afghanistan? Yeah, great question. I mean, I think first it's just worth drawing the distinction how it's not like it. There's nobody shooting at us and there's no IEDs on the road. But beyond that, I mean, you've got all of the complexity and ambiguity of a battlefield. You know, you have limited resources, you have limited information. The stakes are really high. They may not be life and death in some circumstances, but they're still, I mean, these are tragedies that these survivors have experienced. You know, and it's our job to go in there and, and, and help restore hope on the, on the worst day of their lives. And so, you know, it, it very much feels like a military operation as we're moving these hundreds, sometimes thousands of volunteers into these communities following these disasters. And, you know, that 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 sense, that sensation for the, the veteran volunteers who are participating is so familiar. And in some ways, it's actually kind of comforting, which is almost hard to imagine because this is a, a very discomforting scenario for most people. Why do you think the suicide rate is high when we come home, being that it's not Vietnam. We're not, and I didn't live through it. I just read about it. It's not where people look at the camouflage or the uniform and think, how could you serve? For the most part, 99% of America is all in. Take my seat. Uh, thank you for serving. So what? what's the disconnect? Yeah, I really spend a lot of time exploring this in my book. I, I, I I think there's a couple things at play. One is this lack of purpose. And I, and I don't think that's unique to this generation of, of war fighters. I think, you know, many men and women have come home, you know, out of the military from past conflicts and have found life has lost its flavor. And, and that's one of the things that I explore from my own, pers- my own personal lens, you know, in the pages of, of Once a Warrior. But I think that there's a, a couple of other things. And one of the most critical things is how do we, how do we now two decades into these conflicts – if you're a guy like me who served 12 years ago on the sands of in the sands of Iraq or Afghanistan, like, can you still justify the service, the pain, the sacrifice? 
when, when ISIS tore through Western Iraq and basically dismantled any sense of progress that we'd made there. How do you now look back on the sacrifices, the deaths of your friends and say, yeah, it was worth it? And I don't speak for you know the three million men and women who've served since 9/11, but I, I do think that that is a theme that I've persistently heard from at least the Marines that I served with. That it's hard to look back and justify what we went through. But if you were in the Battle of Iwo Jima, or if you stormed Normandy and beat the Nazis, out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You had no trouble justifying the pain. Um, and so I think that's a big challenge for, for, for these, uh, these men and women coming home today. I love the way you put that because I always think the way we get out of Afghanistan and Iraq has everything to do with whether it was worth it or not. I hate when politicians run down, we shouldn't have been there. Really? Let's go back to Saddam Hussein play, you know, actually terrorizing the whole region for the longest time and trying to kill President Bush, 41. I mean, you can't look now and say, well, what we were thinking. I know exactly what we were thinking. And that's what it, well, I'm a big fan of President Trump. But how we get out of Afghanistan matters. It does matter. And, and, and I think that, you know, we have made promises over the last two decades to allies in the region. And I think, you know, as a nation, we should uphold our promises. That doesn't mean that we don't look for ways to disentangle ourselves from these conflicts. You know, we one of the major goals of, of invading Afghanistan after 9-11 was dismantling the Taliban and pursuing al-Qaeda in preventing that place from gotcha. becoming a haven for future terrorists. And if we get out wrong, well, it'll come back again. Once a warrior in the name of the book, yeah. one veteran found a new mission closer to home. Jake Wood, thanks so much for what you do, and go out and get his book. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Brian. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Every time we file a lawsuit, we do so because we believe the lawsuit has merit and because we believe that we will win it. And so every time we file one of these and every, every action that we're taking uh, since the close of Election Day is an effort to get us closer to the election. We do believe that ultimately President Trump will be declared the winner. Well, what do you think? Tim Murtaugh, you know, he's controlling things for the Trump campaign. He's the communications director, uh, making it clear he thinks there's a lot there there in these battleground states who are very close in the final tally. And by the way, we have not gotten a final tally in just about any of these uh, final states. Joining us now, Andrew McCarthy, Fox News contributor, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, author of Ball of Collusion. And uh, Andy, welcome back. Uh, Out of these lawsuits... Uh, we so far have seen 10 filed. I think roughly all 10 have failed. What are they building? What are they trying to build? And are they going, are they on the route to being successful showing any type of fraud? Brian, I think that the, um, the claim that they've been, that they've been tried and failed is way, way overstated. And I say this as somebody who, you know, you and I have talked about this a couple of times now. I, I think this is very, very uphill for them, but 
you know, let's be clear what happened here. They have basically filed one lawsuit, which is now pending in Pennsylvania, which is an uh, overarching challenge to the way the election was conducted. They filed nine lawsuits before that that were efforts to get the count stopped while the election was ongoing. That is, while, while the initial tally was happening. And as a matter of fact, they did win one lawsuit in Pennsylvania where they complained that their poll watchers were not being allowed meaningfully to observe the uh, goings on, where the court said, yes, they have to you know, move them closer. So it's not true that they haven't won any. But those are the lawsuits when they were denied the ability to stop the count. What the courts recognized in those cases is once the election's over, if you have evidence of fraud, you'll be able to file lawsuits and then we can deal with it then. But there's no reason to stop the count, which I think was a completely reasonable thing to to hold. But those aren't like permanent losses. All they mean is uh, it's like, you know, you challenge the result of the game in the fifth inning and the umpire says, look, I hear you. Uh, th- there may have been some problems up until now, but we're going to finish the game. And then after the game's over, if, if you want to challenge the way it was played or how the rules went, you can do it at that point. Interesting. Uh, out of all this, you need something that's going to be substantial. I'm just looking at these numbers, even in 15,000 and decreasing in Arizona, but still uh, votes. You got to right. spend. You can't do it with 15,000 different cases. You have to do something systematic, I would imagine. Right. 145,000 in, in uh, Michigan, you know, 47,000 in Pennsylvania, uh, George, Georgia, over 10,000. So these are significant numbers. What are you looking for for merit, merit that matters? You're exactly right that it's it's not going to be possible, um, and there's no reason to think that that uh, there is this at this point. That they're going to come in and say, "Here are uh, you know ten thousand, twenty thousand individual instances of fraud." So it has to be it has to go to the system uh, in which they either process the votes or are counting the votes, et cetera. And to go to your point about how much. Uh, how, and what I said before about how uphill this is, it's not like, as you just said, they need something big. Brian, they need three things big because we don't have one national election. So if you don't flip Philadelphia and – I'm sorry, Pennsylvania and two other states, you're done. In fact, if you don't flip Philadelphia to uh, Pennsylvania – why do I keep saying Philadelphia? Well, Philadelphia is key because that's what really destroyed yeah. Trump. Well, Pittsburgh too. I, they say in their in their um, in the complaint that they filed on Monday that it's about it's close to seven hundred thousand votes, and it, it's about half Allegheny, which is Pittsburgh, and half uh, Philadelphia. But the point being, if you don't win Pennsylvania, you're done, and Pennsylvania is not sufficient. It's just necessary. They need two other states. So you're right. They need they need something like a, a big systematic failing. Uh, and, you know, they can have like uh, I saw Kaylee McEnany yesterday had, you know, 234 different instances of, of uh, fraud that she was waving around. And I think she's quite right to complain that it's ridiculous for the media to keep saying there's no evidence of fraud when there's a lot of evidence of fraud. The question is whether there's sufficient evidence of fraud. But to say there's none is preposterous. On the other hand, she's not going to win with 234, right? When we're talking about um, 
about tens of thousands. And I'm not I'm not poking fun at her or suggesting that you know the 234 were just 234. Some of them are talking about wider instances of fraud. But you're quite right. I mean, they have a lot of work to do. They have to knock out tens of thousands of votes in three different places. So I want you to hear Reince Priebus, who's in charge of, uh, he's focusing on Wisconsin, but I think he's also looking at Michigan, cut nine. Do you have to have the threshold of votes in order to bring the action? The answer is no. You can bring, you know, every single vote matters, and you can bring each one of your complaints to the election commission, and then you can appeal each one of the complaints to the actual court of appeal within that jurisdiction. That's a laborious process, and you you don't do politics, but the po- the politicians are not going to stand behind for endless weeks for a few thousand people, that, a few dozen people that might have been uh, have legitimate complaints. I think there is well, an expiration date. Yeah, well, that's. I don't know if Wright's referred to that, uh, you know, because we're just listening to that to that clip. I don't know if, if he explained that we are within a legal framework here. So this does, this can't go on endlessly. Uh, the states really have to be finished by the, the end date is December 14th. And part of what drove the Bush v. Gore decision uh, 20 years ago, Brian, was the fact that when um, when the Florida courts tried to extend the deadline yet again, it was so obvious that you couldn't do what they wanted to do in the way of a recount and have all the judicial review and get finished by the the statutory end date. I think back in that year, um, the Supreme Court ruled around December 8th and the deadline was December 12th. And if you read the Bush v. Gore opinion, what it says in part is that, uh, you know, they had the courts of California, uh, of Florida had to know that when they issued this last ruling, what that meant was, they would necessarily be going beyond the the federal statutory deadline. And here's the key thing. Um, If a state goes beyond the federal statutory deadline, the rest of the country doesn't wait. So what happens is the state runs the risk of losing its electoral votes and thereby disenfranchising all of the voters as to whom there's no question about the legitimacy of their vote. So the state has to comply with the federal law And the end date here is December 14th. But that's why I keep saying this is not a crisis. We actually we do have time to work these cases out. And as you can see, there's already proceedings going on in court. The courts are clearly expediting this stuff. But it does come to an end. And the end is uh, December 14th. I have a feeling we'll be done before that. But um, that's the end date. The other area of expertise in your ball of collusion, you understand all about this Russia probe that was launched. As Andy McCabe comes on uh, prior to him with Sally Yates, prior to that, uh, uh, prior to that was uh, with James Comey. As he came and spoke yesterday, here's a little of the problems that he had trying to verify his story. Cut 33. The question is who's responsible. Are, and I think that we are all responsible for the work that went into that FISA. I am certainly responsible as a person in a leadership position. He went on, cut 34. If you knew then what you know now, would you have signed the warrant application in June of 2017 against Carter Page? Uh, No, sir. So you don't launch the investigation into Carter Page. You're not able to spy on him, but you are able to get an ambassador named Downer uh, to... Uh, talk about his interaction with George Papadopoulos that launched this whole probe to begin with. 
the more you think about it, the more you write about it, the more you hear them try to explain their way out of it. What do you walk away with, Andy? Here's what bothers me the most about this, Brian, and here's why they're so full. Well, I can't say what I uh, would like to say about full that. Of it. But, um, well, you know, look, when I indicted the blind shake in the 1990s, um, there was a big deal about that because the, the charges we were going to bring against him were uh, a little bit explosive at the time. They were, it was called seditious conspiracy. There was a big legal issue about whether that was a First Amendment problem. Uh, he was uh, a, a person who uh, affected American foreign policy interests because if we didn't prosecute him, we were going to have to send him back to some country where yeah. it could have caused a lot of unrest. So I had to go down twice to the Justice Department and line by line satisfy Attorney General Reno that I had a case. In other words, they weren't going to let me – the U.S. attorney – the all the hierarchy of the Justice Department, everybody read this stuff line by line. They wanted to be fully informed before we did something as important as we what we were about to do. And as 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 important as that was, it's nothing like conducting surveillance on a presidential candidate of the opposition party. So the idea that the high-ranking people of these agencies can say with a straight face, well, you know, I'm I'm too high ranking to deal with things like do we have enough evidence to go to the FISA court? That wouldn't have been my concern. Or can we corrupt? That's ridiculous. There's not a single responsible actor at that high command who knows that he's going to be or she's going to be blamed if this thing blows up, who hides under his desk and says, don't tell me anything. I don't want to hear the details. <laughs> Any good boss in that kind of a situation wants to be informed, and for one after another after another of these guys to come in and say, well, if I only had known uh, then what I know now, your, your job is to know before you put your signature on it. The reason Congress put these requirements in the statute was to raise the government's consciousness about how intrusive it is to use – foreign intelligence surveillance powers against American citizens. You're not supposed to do it unless you inform yourself about what you should be informed about, and then you put your name on it. But these guys coming in and saying, gee, we, you know, we had no idea. Peter Strzok's text really? messages that said, well, I love the detail in Andy's office. That's not, that's not my Andy's <laughs> office. I don't know what they're referring to. Really? Yeah, fine. And what about what about the sure. revelation that John Radcliffe that was minimized by the Washington Post again today? John Radcliffe came up with a memo that said from the CIA to the FBI, we believe that Hillary Clinton's campaign looking in an effort to deflect from the scandal around their emails are going to try to do a linkage between Trump and Russia. They go, well, that's rush that could, that's Russian disinformation. Really? The Washington Post decided it was Russian disinformation. John Radcliffe didn't. And number two is Andy, McC- Andy McCabe says he knew nothing about it. You're deputy director of the FBI. You're getting a memo from the CIA director. You know nothing about it. He said, well, Peter Strzok's name was on that and James Comey, not mine. That didn't come up? Brian, this is like pretty typical uh, defendant activity, which is why it's so disheartening to see former FBI officials engage in it. But, you know, here's what happens in in a normal criminal case. Let's take the FBI out of it for a second. The lawyers get together with the defendants or the suspects, and they say, 
we've gotten all the discovery. Here's what these guys can prove. They don't have a smoking gun document that has you saying X thing. So as long as you say, I don't know, I don't remember, I wasn't told, you'll be fine. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, Amer- I just think the American people are, are sick of it and they see right through it. But if you're a Democrat, you have a different take. I want you to hear what uh, both Diane Feinstein and Dick Durbin said. Cut 38. I think, Mr. Chairman, it's time to turn the page on Crossfire Hurricane. It's time to stop relitigating issues of the last election. It's time finally to put behind us the divisiveness and vitriol of the Trump era. Okay. Nice of him to do that after taking our time up for three years. Now he wants to turn the page. And she. Yeah. That's amazing. After causing, it's like the, the arsonist says, now it's it's time to, you know, not worry about what it took to put this fire out anymore. Um, you know, look, uh, it can't be, Brian, that they tell us on uh, Monday and Wednesday and Friday that it's time to turn the page from Trump and all this Russia collusion stuff. And then on, you know, Tuesday, yeah. Thursday and Saturday, they tell us the Russians are still at it. They're still threatening our system. If that's true, then we need to get to the bottom of what the threat is, which means we, we need to look at it historically, and we need to know how competently did we investigate yeah. it. And the Democrats have to understand that what happened here could happen to them, too. And keep in so mind, Andy, an Lisa Page got a network job. Andy McCarthy got a network job. James Comey got a movie and two book deals. They're not suffering, and they should. And you wrote a book about Andy it, Mc- and, and you told Andy the true McCarthy story. I think suffering. Yeah. I think Andy McCarthy is suffering. Oh, Andy McCarthy. Excuse me, Andy McKay. Andy McCarthy's thriving. You wrote a book on it. You did well. Thanks, Andy. I'm back with your phone calls in just a moment. Brian Kilmeade Show. On this Veterans Day, take a minute and thank them. Thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back. Let's go to the phones right now. And for you, if you're a veteran, I want to get you a book, Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers. Bob, you're on WDBO. Bob. Yes, sir. Bob, you serve? Yes, sir. When did you serve? In Vietnam, and uh, I was over three tours in Vietnam. What branch? U.S. Army. Nice. Bob, thank you. Well, hold on. We'll get you a book. What's on your mind today? Well, I I uh, know that this uh, election is a bunch of fraud, but uh, I'm really worried about Georgia, and I just hope that the people can get behind uh, the two Republicans that are running in the runoff, and I would—I mean, I've—I've I've donated hundreds of dollars to try and help, and I wish everybody would uh, do the same just to make sure we have enough funds to beat the Democrats. Just came across now. Dan Sullivan projected to win Alaska. That would put him at fifty. So they just need one of the two. As soon as that's official, it's going to be very interesting. January fifth. There's going to be a dogfight. About two points separate both races. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for serving. Uh, let's go to Jim WRCN Long Island. Jim. Yeah. Good morning, Brian. Hey, where'd you serve? Uh, United States Marine Corps. 
What years? 64, 65. Wow, thank you, Jim. What's on your mind today? Well, one of the things bothered me is that, uh, you know, there's no doubt in my mind with the corruption that went on with this election, is that how do we ask young people to serve in the military, young men and women today? When we tell everybody in this country that we go overseas, we fight for freedom, we fight for the right to vote, and our votes were taken away from us. There's no doubt about it. Well, they're exploring it. But, Jim, the thing is, we did. Here's the great news. 160 million people voted. I mean, it's unbelievable. 67% of the country voted. It's incredible. So that's a great turnout. With the whole mail-in voting, it's a huge problem. Hopefully, we'll never have to do it again. If Jim in Long Island wants a ballot, okay, request it. But we can't just flood states with ballots anymore. And that's what the president said it was going to be a problem, and it's a problem. That's why I'm still I'm just saying we've got to wait to see what these challenges are about. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Coming to you from New York City, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, a great program uh, and a great uh, American icon, Tony Orlando, legendary singer-songwriter, host of Saturday Night with Tony Orlando on one of our great affiliates, 77 WABC. Uh, He's going to be talking about what he's doing for and what we all could do uh, for veterans with uh, tying a yellow ribbon around a tree in semblance of our appreciation for those who serve, which brings me to also General uh, H.R. McMaster is going to be with us shortly. He's got his book out, Battlegrounds, The Fight to Defend the Free World. He's going to be with us talking about his column he wrote about service and about the challenges that Joe Biden or Donald Trump will face. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're just 11 days into the month of November, and in that time alone, the United States has surpassed 1 million new coronavirus cases. And another staggering figure this morning, our country saw more than 61,000 hospitalizations in just one day. COVID-19 cases rising in just about every state. Breakthroughs are happening with therapeutics as well as two vaccines. When can we get them? We'll talk about it. Number two. This is the most radical movement in the history of the United States. So South Carolina and Georgia won't matter. New York and California pick everything. The people running in Georgia are the most extreme candidates in the history of Georgia. Purdue and Leffler are the best check and balance on the most radical agenda in the history of the country. And Senator Sullivan looks like he's going to be Senator Sullivan again. Alaska would give the Republicans 50. They just got 49 yesterday when Tom Tillis won North Carolina. The balance of power. Republicans astonishingly blow past 200 seats in the House, a time in which they were supposed to lose about two dozen seats in the House. And it looks like the Republicans are now one seat away from holding the majority in the Senate. What does that say about Georgia? A lot. Number one. Every time we file a lawsuit, we do so because we believe the lawsuit has merit and because we believe that we will win it. Tim Murtaugh, communications director for the Trump campaign, holding on. Lawsuits filed, lawsuits dismissed. The Trump team tries to show widespread election fraud, but while his GOP allies, believe it or not, stand strong behind him, Biden's team chafes and the anti-Trump media overheats. But what else is new? 
Joining me now is General H.R. McMaster. You've got to go grab his book. It's excellent. Battlegrounds, the fight to defend the free world. He gets politics out of it and talks about just what's in America's interest. Uh, General, on this Veterans Day, thanks so much for serving. You wanted to write a column about this. It's called Ponder the Rewards of Military Service. Before we get specific, what did the military give you? Hey, Brian, it was it was the greatest gift of my life, the opportunity to serve in our, in our army. And and, and what you, I had the opportunity to do is to work alongside amazing uh, men and women from across our country who were dedicated to something bigger than themselves, to, to defending our country and, and our way of life. And and what I, what I write about in, the, in this in this uh, op ed is that we sometimes look past those rewards of service. You know, you actually, Brian, in, in, a, in, a, in an army unit. Uh, it becomes like a family, and the man or woman next to you is willing to give everything, even their own lives for you. And that's really not replicated uh, anywhere else in, you know, in any other profession. And, and so I, I really thought it was a tremendous privilege to serve. Uh, and, and I also believe that our warriors, American warriors, are humanitarians. And they're humanitarians first and foremost because we're engaged today, Brian, against the enemies of all humanity. And, and, uh, and it is our, our soldiers, uh, sailors, airmen, and Marines fighting alongside partners across the world who are protecting us, you know, from another devastating attack like we saw on September 11th, 2001. Right. Uh, Of course, uh, General McMaster had everything to do with the success we had in Iraq and the surge as well, and Afghanistan, how we get out. So just real quick, are you surprised, the president you know, President Trump you know, are you surprised he's still fighting and exploring as the votes get tallied, his chances of winning still? Does it surprise you he's holding out a week later? No, it, it doesn't. And, and of course, as as you've covered, others have have covered, but you don't hear it too much in, in in other media. Is that this is very similar to what what Al Gore did, right? I mean, he's you know the president is not, is extremely competitive person, and it's not surprising that he would you know pursue all avenues to ensure that uh, you know, that that he you know, he he uh, contests this election in in every way. And but I think what Americans should recognize is that that's okay, right? We have a system in place. We have the judicial system and an adjudicative process that's that's ongoing. And those who have been raising you know, these fears, you know, will the president leave and so forth? You know, our founders, when they set up our constitution, they made it so that the executive branch, the president, actually has no role in the transition. And whereas you know the campaign can file these lawsuits, that's that's okay. But ultimately, it's going to come down to the American people who voted. And, and, and you know, if there weren't enough electoral votes, it would go to the Congress, but that's not going to be necessary. It's just one poll, but it's a morning consult poll, and it's so, uh, it's so lopsided I think I can share it, even though we're all shy about looking at polls these days. Republicans were asked, do you believe the 2020 election was free and fair? Only 26 percent said yes. Another question, among Republicans who believe the election wasn't fair and free, 78 percent say mail-in voting led to widespread voter fraud. And that is the first time we had massive mail-in balloting. But that's got to bother you a little bit because you're about red, white, and blue, not red and blue. Yeah, it it does bother me, Brian, because I know that we took a lot of steps to make sure that our electoral process was secure. You know, where this is back when I was when I was serving in the White House. Sure. And I have complete confidence in, in our electoral system and the sanctity of our election. And when you look at these, you know, at these counts, right, some of them were, you know, were contested, like in Pennsylvania. I think that the states, you know, of course, they're all decentralized systems. They've done a really, really good job of making it as transparent as possible. You know, you could watch it live stream, you know, for, for example. I do think that what we can conclude from this, this election is, hey, there's a lot of media bias out there, Brian. I mean, it's extraordinary 
the degree to which the you know the the outcome, as you mentioned at the top of the, of the show here, uh, the outcome was so different from what people were protecting and uh, were projecting, and I think they were projecting so optimistically uh, for the Democratic Party because of optimism bias, right? I mean, I, I think that that's one of the big takeaways here. But I think Americans should be confident in the electoral process that their votes were counted and that they mattered. Um, and, and it's disheartening to see that the people are losing confidence because, you know, Brian, hey, this is what Russia wants. This is I what know. our enemies broadly want. They want us. They don't really care who wins our elections, I don't think. I think what they care about is they want a large number of Americans to doubt the legitimacy uh, of the result. Yeah, and I just was sho- shocked to see in reading Peter Strzok's book, they had no idea four years ago that social media would be a venue in which Russia would strike. That's okay if I don't know. I'm not an expert. I'm not an investigative expert, but I was surprised the FBI didn't think they were going to do what they did. But now with getting 70 million votes in 2020, it verified, believe it or not, even though it looks like he may not have prevailed, it validates 2016 because Russia played no role. And uh, Iran got a preemptive cyber hit to nullify their actions before they even tried something. So in that way, don't you think that's a story that can be written? Yeah, heck yes, Brian. This is what I wish that, and I wish President Trump would talk about this because this is something you should take credit for, right? So, in 2017, we got all the departments and agencies together and said, "Okay, how do we make sure that you know, that, that Russia is unable uh, to to you know to divide us, unable to raise doubts about an election result like they did in in, in 2016? How do we how do we prevent them from using issues of race or or policy issues like immigration and gun control to divide us by showing?" people on both sides of these issues, more and more extreme content through social media with these bots and trolls and so forth. And we did really two fundamental things, Brian. One was to secure the election. There's a new organization called the Cyber Infrastructure Security Organization. There are great people working there. They're super competent. They worked tirelessly from 2017 all the way to the present to work with these, what, 54 or so different electoral processes that we have set up uh, in a decentralized manner in the United States. And the other, the other thing that they, we did is we took the gloves off our cyber forces. And you mentioned, you know, some of the, you know, some of the offensive actions that have been reported. But, you know, you can't have a good defense without a good offense. And we've become so much better, so much better at defending ourselves, you know, from the sustained campaign of disinformation by the Russians in particular. But others are in the act now, right, the Iranians were very active during the election, uh, and the Chinese are sort of replicating what, what uh, Russia's uh, been doing. General H.R. McMaster, our guest, his book, Battleground, The Fight to Defend the Free World. Not only is it always great to have Mon, but especially on Veterans Day for all he's served and all he's seen and, and the leadership he continues to provide. So I just give you an idea. You brought up media bias, and I want to bring you to these questions. In all your years working with President Trump, have you ever heard questions quite like this? Have you tried to reach out at all to the president? And if he is watching right now, what would you say to him? How will you uh, move ahead if the president continues to refuse to concede? Have you spoken to your longtime uh, friend in the Senate, Mr. McConnell? During the lame duck, will you be coordinating with Speaker Pelosi on how she should be negotiating these are with normal, Republicans? These are normal, respectful questions. The president never got this. Almost never. Maybe one out of every 20. Yeah, I'll tell you, Brian, it is. And, and you know, I'll tell you, the, pre- the president did not create divisions. Right. I think what he did is in some ways he, he tapped into people's discontent. Uh, and what, what we have to recognize is that, you know, once once you know, it, it, it is a Biden administration, you know, our divisions aren't going to go away. We all have to work on this together. Right. right. And, and the conclusion of battlegrounds, I talk about the need for us to have respectful 
discussions about the, the challenges that we face, you know, and, and we have to stop talking at each other, talk with each other. And in this op-ed today, you know, I, I really wanted to make the point that we should stress our common identity as Americans, you know, in military units and on Veterans Day, I think it's worth thinking about this. People come from all different backgrounds, right? They bring their biases and their prejudices with them, but you see them melt away when that military unit becomes like a family. And when somebody's shooting at you, you're not checking their political party registration. You're not checking their, their nope. skin color. You know, and, you know, and, and I think our country can, I think, take something from that experience. So I, the thing that I find a little disturbing is the president uh, fired Secretary of Defense Esper. Uh, he uh, fired Joe Kernan. He fired Ezra Cohn, I guess, uh, Watnick, and James Anderson. I don't know these guys outside of Vesper, but Chris Miller is uh, in, Kosh Patel is in, and Anthony, uh, General Anthony Tata is in. Are you worried uh, about this unrest in this transition period and this change? Yeah, Brian, I just don't see how it's good, right? So in the transition period, what you want to do is you want your successor to, to succeed, right? I mean, you know, when, when, I, when I left the job as National Security Advisor and Ambassador Bolton came in, you know, I, I, you know, I, I wanted him to succeed. And, and, you know, we had a great transition. We had long discussions. We went to lunch together, you know, and I welcomed him in because, you know, these jobs, even the president, <laughs> that, you're, that, you, you know, that job is bigger than any person right and and what you should do is is always prioritize what's best for the country and even if you detest the policies right of the people who are, who are going to succeed you or you're coming behind you uh that, that you ought to try to set them up uh for for success with a gracious transition and i think that's been our tradition and i hope that will be our tradition what you, you, you mentioned you know it makes it tougher general do is your fear that the president's going to pull troops out of everywhere and these guys didn't want to do that yeah, I, I think what what we have to do is is, is you know a, you know ask the president uh, obviously to to continue to prioritize what's in our long term interests right that's what I think that's what he wants to do I think there are those who are advising him Brian that our disengagement from these overseas commitments uh, is an unmitigated good but you know that's what the Obama administration was doing and it led to a disaster across the Middle East it led to an ascendant. Taliban, a humanitarian catastrophe there, a massive refugee crisis. You know, we had a terrorist organization in control of territory the size of Britain, right? That's what we got from disengagement. And I think we have to remember 9-11. You know, it's not a theoretical case. And, Brian, I would say to, to President Trump at this moment, hey, remember the Bill Clinton counterterrorism strategy. Remember after al-Qaeda declared war on us. Remember after the first World Trade Center bombing in 1994. Did nothing. A truck bomb. Re remember the bombing of our embassies. You know what we did? In 1998, we fired a few cruise missiles, and we called it a day. Then what happens next? Uh, the most devastating terrorist attack in history on 9-11. Secretary, so, you know, I it, hear you. It's, it's, easy to see the, it's easy to see the cost of remaining engaged, but we have to be able to imagine the cost of disengagement. Lastly, Secretary of Defense Gates, former, said that Joe Biden's been wrong about every foreign policy and national security issues over the last 40 years. Are you, do you agree with him? Yeah, I do. I do. I do agree with him. But, you know, I, I, I hope I hope that, that he's smart enough, and I, I'm sure he is, not to just want to turn the clock back to 2016, right? The world has changed. These challenges have evolved. Our approach toward China in particular, I think, has, has been extremely positive, and that ought to be an element of continuity. So, I, you know, I, I think he'll do uh, what uh, is in the country's best interest in his heart, in his mind, 
Um, but I just hope that those around him and advising him resist the temptation, Brian, of defining his foreign policy only as in opposition to the Trump administration's. And instead, right. take what is best about the Trump administration's approach and correct what they think are the deficiencies. That's called leadership. Uh, it's all in your book. Uh, General H.R. McMaster, a deep thinker and a warfighter. Battlegrounds, the fight to defend the free world. Thanks so much, General, and thanks for your service on this Veterans Day, especially. Hey, Brian, thanks for the privilege of being with you. Happy Veterans Day to everybody. And, his, and by the way, his columns in the Wall Street Journal today. When we come back, your calls, one 408 7669 If you serve, I'm going to, if you want, I will sign a book. I just got the new mass market for Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, for all the callers next. Freedom speaks for itself, and we wouldn't have it without you. Thank you for serving our country and being the best Americans you can be. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Tony Orlando coming up next. The the uh, singing icon, the mu- musical icon, has got a great program for to salute veterans. He's going to be talking about it. Put it together with John Casamitidis, uh, who owns WABC and just about everything else. Uh, so let's go to the phones right now. Steve, you're listening on iHeartRadio in Louisiana, also a veteran. Steve, when did you serve? I served uh, 1995 to 2002. Well, thanks so United much. United States Army. Uh, United U.S. Army. So I'll get you, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. Hold on. What's on your mind today? Yes, sir. There was a, a person uh, on there this morning. I believe he said he was a Republican. He was on your show. It said we needed to focus on what Biden is going to do with COVID-19 and to fight the shutdowns, federal mask mandates across the nation. Yep. Instead of focusing on the election fraud and what's going on against Trump and, well, as far as all of us Americans. We could do both. Uh, yeah, I agree. We can do both. We don't need to let this uh, stuff with elections, no matter what side is doing the fraud. I mean, the, the right thing to do is get to the bottom of it. I mean, I, along with many other Americans, serve to defend our country and way of life for what's right and to keep this a great nation. I've been to Kosovo, Bosnia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And I can testify that we are a great nation, but what's going on with all the anomalies, anomalies about the election is a disgrace. I hear you. Let's just the best we can get to the bottom of it, but they'll start certifying states next week. So we got to see if there's any merit to this pretty soon, Steve. Thanks for your service. Hold on. We'll get you a book. Uh, let's go to, uh, let's go to uh, Joe. What's on WRCN? Hey, Joe. Brian, good morning. Happy Veterans Day to all the veterans. Uh, listen, there's a saying, don't give me a Franklin and tell me it's filet mignon. You know that, right? There's no way this election was on the up and up. Biden couldn't get 75 people to a rally. You're telling me he got 75 million out uh, to vote for him? Uh, more than and, Obama. And, and Yeah, 10 million more. And Kamala Harris was polling at zero percent, less than one percent, zero percent in the Democratic primary eight months ago. And I'm supposed to believe that they all of a sudden got 80 something million and that now and, and that's on the up and up. No way. It'll never happen. 70 million people will never believe that unless the Supreme Court comes in. And due to the uh, pandemic, they mailed these ballots. I know, Joe. The the mail-in ballots were a problem, but we did have a huge turnout, and just a lot of people voted against President Trump. A lot of people voted for him, but they voted against him, too, more than Biden. 
It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. So you know this is Veterans Day, and you know this uh, 75 years since the end of World War II, 70 years uh, since the Korean War started, and now we have an Iraq and Afghanistan war that's still dragging on, Afghanistan in particular, but winding down. And we have so many people that have served. It's become an all-volunteer force. And here on Veterans Day, due to the pandemic, there's not the big parades we normally see. There's not the salutes we normally see because we've got to be responsible about it. But that didn't stop Tony Orlando, uh, the legendary singer-songwriter, who, by, by the way, hosts uh, uh, a show back on the radio on 77 WABC here in New York, Saturday Night with Tony Orlando. So he's got to give up his Saturday night uh, clubbing. He can't do that anymore. So they put together, along with John John Castamatidis, who's a Long Island vice chair of Toys for Tots, a yellow ribbon campaign. And they want to put thousands of yellow ribbons in honor of those who serve and have served. Joining us now is the legend himself, Tony Orlando. Tony, welcome Hello, to Brian, Brian. Kilby, Joe. How are you? How are you, my friend? It's good to talk to you. I watched you this morning. I was wondering if you try to jump out of an airplane like uh, President Bush in his 90s did with that guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have Johnny Joey Jones, who lost his legs in, in Iraq. Uh, he's a bomb technician. He has never jumped out of a plane because he has the prostheses. So he did a tandem jump today in honor of Veterans Day. But you've you've always been extremely patriotic, Tony, right? Well, you know, it started with that, that song. 73, I did a show to welcome home our POWs uh, at the Cotton Bowl with Bob Hope. And it changed my life, Brian. I've been working on behalf of veterans for all these 40-plus years. And it, that little song that you just played... You know, it's great to have a number one record, but you can have a number one record that can raise millions and millions and millions, I mean, millions of dollars through those years on behalf of veterans. And it has done that. It's been a great tool for raising money for our veterans and our veterans' awareness and our military awareness. It's the proudest thing I've ever done with the blessings that I've been given as a performer is to be able to give back to my country by honoring our veterans. So you, your goal, and you combine with John Casamitidis to do this in WABC, to hand out 20,000 ribbons, just so people know that you have not forgotten, and we have not forgotten. Well, thank you. Thank you, Brian. And, you know, John is an amazing guy. It's actually, he told me it was 100,000 ribbons that he's putting around all of New York City so that we do not forget, because there's no parade, as you so well mentioned, but the heart is there. You know, the parade is in your own heart. That's where the parade begins and ends when it comes to our veterans. And I've watched you. You've been through a tough election. And, boy, is this moment and this day important. Talk about a glue that can bring us all together. The moment you thank a veteran and you thank the military for their service, that's what makes this country great. So, Tony, describe what it was like. I mean, the one thing I'd have to say, I think the military is getting tremendous respect. I'm out of the branch. Very rarely do you see, if people make a statement against the military, they're really vilified, and I think justifiably. But that wasn't the case always. What was the Vietnam era like? Well, the Vietnam era, as you know, was a time in which people, you know, the Vietnam vet was the only veteran that was spit on, disrespected, cursed at, uh, gave them no 
uh, parades. There was no yellow ribbons for the Vietnam vet. And now I think people realize, oh, my God. I mean, I see uh, veterans at an airport now, Brian, four or five of them welcoming home troops from Afghanistan and earlier in Iraq. And I asked them, I said, what are you guys doing here? They said, we're making sure that what happened to us Vietnam vets never happens to another American soldier again, because they really were not treated well. And the POWs who came home were the only ones really because of Bob Hope and because of that homecoming at the Cotton Bowl with 72,000 people received some kind of feeling, you know, uh, they're respecting what we did. They're the only ones, and they'll be the first ones to admit, you, admit that to you. And I, I have reunion with them, Brian, for, for almost 43 years now, almost every single year with our POWs. I'm so, so honored to make that, because of that song, a major part of my life. What went into that song? I mean, when you were, uh, did, when, when this comes out, did you have the veterans in mind for this? No. The song was actually written by L. Russell Brown uh, and Irwin Levine. I did not write the song. Unfortunately, I would have been able to buy a bigger house if I'd written that song. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is they wrote the song. I recorded it. It was written based on a uh, situation that really supposedly happened in Florida where guys coming out of prison told the story. And uh, it was, the story ended up in uh, Reader's Digest. And I think it was handkerchiefs, yellow handkerchiefs on the, on the tree. And that yellow... Uh, those handkerchiefs, the guy said, you know, if my girlfriend puts one on, I know she loves me. Well, there was a hundred. And the writers thought, what a great love story this is. This guy's away for three years in prison and he's coming home. So when the Iranian hostage crisis happened, Penny Langdon, the wife of uh, Mr. Langdon, who was the ambassador in Iran, tied a yellow ribbon around her tree. And then it became a national symbol of homecoming when those when they came home. From Iran in 1980, it was all along Pennsylvania Avenue, right up to the White House. And I actually got a call from Ronald Reagan to come and to the airport and welcome them. And I felt like, I don't know, that, I don't know if I could do that because this is about them. So I said, Mr. President, I said, would you mind if, if, if I – just – doesn't feel right to me. It's like egotistical. He said, Tony, you mean you're saying no? I said, I said, why don't you use the military band? And he did. And he called me back afterwards. The president of the United States, Ronald Reagan, said, Tony, thank you. That was a good move for us. You know? Wow. And I, I tell you, to be honest with you, that song at that time when there was a parade right here in New York, I'm sitting in a convertible going down with a ticker tape parade, welcoming home our Desert Storm troops too in 1980 and uh, 1990, rather right, 10 years later after that. And then again, you know, uh, in Afghanistan, I went to Iraq again, the Yellow Ribbon. And then when you drive down the street, Brian, and you come behind an SUV and you see a little yellow ribbon stuck in the back that says, support our troops. Hey, man, it don't <laughs> get better than that. You don't. And uh, so, and that's all coming from you and you're somebody who's very grateful but very patriotic. What do you think when you hear people say, like the governor of New York, say America was never that great? Well, that's the most un-American thing you can say. I mean, I mean, how could you say America is not great? America is there for every country in the world when it comes to saving people from war, to famine, to tidal waves. They come in, 
you know, America's first, always first to come in to help the world. One of the proudest things that we have uh, as Americans is that we are not selfish. And for anybody to say that America is not great tells me that that person is not very great. Tony, I agree with you. You know what I'm glad about? You have great personality as well as a great singer, but you also got your own show back, right? So you're back on the air on WABC? Hey, man, I'm having a ball. Let me tell you something. I never expected this. You know, they canceled 110 uh, casino dates for me because of the pandemic, and I'm sitting home, and John Casamitidis, who just owns the station, calls me up, an old friend of mine. You know, I'm half Greek, so already we became family, right, because he's Greek. And he calls me up, and he goes, hey, how would you like to follow Cousin Brucey, who, by the way, I've known since I'm 16 years old and respect totally because he's, he's been part of my life. And I said, well, what do you mean, John? He says, how about doing a two-hour radio show? He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm ready to do a two-hour radio show. I'm sitting in my house. Thank you. And you know what? It's so funny, Brian. This is a medium I think is the most personal and most intimate of all. I really do. I really think that radio will never go away because when you're sitting in your car alone, it's just me and you, Brian, you know, and you're, you're talking to me. You're not talking to a television audience. You're talking to me personally. And when music is played, you're playing that song for me or my wife or my girlfriend. Yay. So it's really been great. I've had a ball. Well, you know, the thing is, I, uh, I I know you got this great personality that comes out in between the music, which you also know, and you also know about life. You also know about the country. You also know about history. And John Casamitidis does so much for so many that you never find out about. Uh, but I hope he just runs for mayor. That would be the best thing, Tony. Then, then we'll finally be taken care of in this city. Well, you know, I don't know. And you know this. You know John. I don't think I've ever met one man with a bigger heart from New York City ever in my life, ever. This man really loves this country, loves this city. And whatever he does, whether he ran for mayor or not, he always makes the city better. He's always making it. Look at this 100,000 ribbons. He doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need to go out there and put 100,000 ribbons in. The man has made billions of dollars in his life. He does it. You know, Brian, I have a little saying. There's a very thin line between the love of power and the power of love. And that thin line, right. you know, he, didn't, he, he had the power. So when he crosses it, it's the other way around with him. It's the power of love. When he deals with politics, it's because right. he loves the city or he loves the country. You know that as well as I. And right. you live in New York, and I'm born and raised in New York. And he's one of a kind. Yes. And so are you, Brian. It's always been great talking to you. Same here. I really love talking to you. I've missed that. I haven't seen you in a long time. Uh, last time I saw you, I think, was at a baseball uh, <laughs> game we were at together, right? Right. Tony, absolutely. And hopefully we'll have in-studio guests soon and things will go back to normal as soon as we get this vaccine accelerated out and get officially done at the end of the month. And then performers like you uh, have a chance to go out and do what you want to do for a living. And keep in mind, when you talk about the power of love, you're a music guy. You know who that means. That's Huey Lewis. So if you were to bring that up again, you roll it. I'm not telling you how to do your show, Tony. But then you roll in Huey Lewis, and that's a show. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. You've got to come in here and do the music with me. That was a wonderful <laughs> call just now. <laughs> I know. I'm amazing. Uh, Tony, and thanks so much. You uh, are So So listen, so if anyone wants to help, I don't know if you have a setup or, uh, for Veterans Day, you just say for everyone listening right now, put a yellow ribbon around the tree, and that's a salute to the troops. Well, please, you know, this is Tony Orlando, and Brian, uh, this is Veterans Day, and there's no greater symbol 
really, of love, homecoming, respect for our veterans to that ribbon. It all started in 1973, welcoming home our POWs, and it still has been gotcha. part of an American way of showing our love and respect for our veterans. So if you can, take a yellow ribbon, one that John has out there, one of the 100,000, right. say WABC on it, or even one that you can cut at home, right. wrap it around the tree, and say we love you and thank you for your service. You're quite a talker, Tony. I love it. You're a good salesperson, too. Uh, listen to a show. If you're not in the New York area, because we're national, stream it. Get it on the stream, WABC.com. It's on Saturday night uh, from 10 till midnight. Uh, Tony, thanks so much. Best of luck. I love what you're doing, and congratulations on all of it. God bless you, my friend. Thank you for having me. You got it. As we go to break, the year is uh, year is 1967, April 4th. This is about the Vietnam War, of course, and talking about some of the battles that are fought. It's an ambush of U.S. Marines. Let's listen. Spring at home, but unmindful of clock or calendar, the Vietnam struggle goes on. A Viet Cong ambush of a U.S. Marine Rough Rider truck convoy kills one American leatherneck, wounding four others. Many vehicles were damaged, two destroyed. Elsewhere, South Vietnamese and American troops keep supply lines open while attacking a huge Viet Cong installation. The enemy camp was first pounded by heavy fire from ships and landing boats, providing cover for the assault wave foot soldiers. This Veterans Day, say thanks to those who serve and have served. We're very thankful. Thank you for protecting our country. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Joe Biden has won. He's won the election. Now move on. Let's bring this country together. And get things done. We have a COVID crisis raging. We don't have time for these kinds of games. Come on. Move on. Bring the country together. By saying we're going to change America, that's going to bring country together. By saying we're going to get those two Georgia Senate seats and bring the country together, that's going to bring us together. Please. Chuck Schumer, you define divisive. Get over it, right? You get 70 million votes and you're President Trump and you're supposed to just, after four years of you telling him and everybody else he's illegitimate, now he's supposed to just move on. Because Chuck Schumer, crying Chuck, says so. Unbelievable. Michael is on WHIO. Hey, Michael. Hey, how are you, Brian? Good. You're a veteran? Good. Uh, yes. When From did you 90s, serve? In the Army. Wow. In the 90s. All right. I'll get you uh, Sam Houston, Alamo Avengers. Hold on. We'll get your address. What's on your mind today? Well, I just wanted to expand on something the general said about um, it, people coming together in the military, unity from all different backgrounds, diversity, so forth. I agree with that wholeheartedly, and it gives me chills when I think back about my time going through boot camp and going through that. Anybody that's been in the military, in the infantry, that's gone through that would also tell you that to get to that point of unity, there is a lot of chaos and then it comes together. I don't think we're there as a country yet. Just speaking for myself here yep. in the Midwest and a blue-collar guy, we want what I want, not speaking for everybody, is basically people to be held accountable. Uh, as an example, let's just get with the election and the issue in Pennsylvania and other things. People want to sweep things under the rug. And I don't care which way this turns out. I love our country. I'll support either side. 
But people should be held accountable. And until people are held accountable for things, then I don't think we're going to have any unity. Now, if someone is not allowed to watch as a poll watcher, and that's a law, instead of sweeping it under the rug and saying, yeah, that's not a big deal, it's not widespread, that person should be held accountable and removed. Yep. Uh, Just like they did in Florida. Those people were removed, and it seems like that that made the process better in Florida. 2018 to 2020, much better. Yeah, so you could expand that, you know, listening to McCabe yesterday and dealing with the FBI. The, the small guy, when he's told that that was a, um, an inconsistency or an error in judgment, that was the law that was broken. It wasn't an error in judgment. And until people are held accountable, then I don't think there's really going to be any unity. And I'll build on what you said. And, I'll build on what you said. Because if, you're an F, if you lie to the FBI, big or small, you're going to jail. This the FBI is lying, and he wants us to just say, get over it. And and I think that what's been created, the the atmosphere that's been created is we don't feel like we have a voice. Um, you know, I, I take voting very seriously, always have, always want to continue to vote. But to be honest with you, I'm getting to the point to where I feel like that my opinion, my voice doesn't matter, nor does my vote, because there are people that are pulling the strings, and it's a power play. And the people in the Midwest, the blue-collar workers, we get affected by policy, it seems like, more than just about anybody else. I get and, and I'll just finish your thought because i got to move on real quick. I think you're right, but you did have your voice heard. The House switched. You shocked everybody. The Senate held. You shocked – it's about to hold. Shocked everybody. Seventy million people jumped out for President Trump, even though everyone told us that he had no support at all. Winston, listen, WDBO. Winston. Hey, Brian. It's a privilege to talk to you, sir. I'm a, I am a veteran, and I told your screener I didn't call to get a free book. And I, I won't accept it because that's not why I called. I, I have a, a, a way to solve this. Yeah. Uh, hey, Winston, well, hold on. I'll get you next hour. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, on this Veterans Day. Don't move. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We have a lot to discuss today, and there's a lot of breaking news throughout the day, especially on Veterans Day, where the President of the United States is going to be seen in public for the first time in a long time. He's going to be going to a Veterans Day uh, event in Arlington, obviously, and he's going to be commemorating right at 11 a.m. just happened. Uh, so we're waiting for the President actually to walk out. He's going to be uh, placing a wreath for the unknown soldier uh, and also uh, give salute to all those veterans who served and are serving. And that's what this is about. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Martha McCallum. Just wrote a best-selling book about a world uh, about World War II, about actually her uncle. So, um, and she did a great special on that as well. So, let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're just 11 days into the month of November, and in that time alone, the United States has surpassed 1 million new coronavirus cases. And another staggering figure this morning, our country saw more than 61,000 hospitalizations in just one day. Uh, That's pretty significant, and that's why we're talking about it. COVID-19, cases rising in all 50 states. What will it take to avoid another lockdown? Number two. This is the most radical movement in the history of the United States. So South Carolina and Georgia won't matter. New York and California pick everything. The people running in Georgia are the most extreme candidates in the history of Georgia. Purdue and Leffler are the best check and balance on the most radical agenda in the history of the country. Yep, Senator Lindsey Graham talking about the balance of power. It looks like Republicans astonishingly blow past 200 seats in the House as their deficit with Pelosi shrinks to a historic lows. With another Senate seat, Tom Tillis of North Carolina puts them at 50, excuse me, 49. And rumor is that Dan Sullivan is going to get the Alaska seat. So that'll put the Republicans at 50 with two seats left to fill January 5th. All eyes on Georgia. Number one. Every time we file a lawsuit, we do so because we believe the lawsuit has merit and because we believe that we will win it. Tim Murtaugh of the Trump campaign holding on. Lawsuits filed, lawsuits dismissed as Trump team tries to show widespread election fraud. They're now focusing on Michigan. Uh, We'll find out why the Biden team's chafes and the anti-Trump media overheats. But what else is new? one 866 So happy Veterans Day to all of you. I see the lines are jammed, and I'm going to try to get to some uh, calls as well with Martha. But uh, suffice to say, the Trump administration's got their hands full. Uh, they thought they went to bed on election night, and they thought they won. And when they woke up, all their deficits were, all their, their cushion was gone, and the deficits were there. In Pennsylvania, they now trail by 47,000 votes. They're not done yet. In Michigan, 145,000 votes. In Wisconsin, 20,000 votes. In 12,813 and shrinking in Arizona. In Georgia, they got over 10,000 votes. So how do they make that up? Well, the president believes his mail-in voting has a lot of fraud in it, but they have to prove it. And that's going to be Kim. Key, Tim Murtaugh yesterday, cut three. Every time we file a lawsuit, we do so because we believe the lawsuit has merit and because we believe that we will win it. And so every time we file one of these and every, every action that we're taking uh, since the close of Election Day is an effort to get us closer to the election. We do believe that ultimately President Trump will be declared the winner He's got to start making some progress if that's going to happen. Reince Priebus also leading that charge in the Midwest. Cut nine. Do you have to have the threshold of votes in order to bring the action? The answer is no. You can bring, you know, every single vote matters, and you can bring each one of your complaints to the Election Commission, and then you can appeal each one of the complaints to the actual court of appeal within that jurisdiction. All right. uh, So he's pursuing it. Uh, Harmeet Dillon is also pursuing it. But I was also heartened by two because I think that President Trump put on such a charge at the end. He won Election Day by a wide margin. He didn't win the mail-in voting. A lot of it has to do with the president said, listen, don't trust the mail-in. If you're absentee, I do absentee. Don't worry about it. But the mail-in voting, the unsolicited, he wanted to stop it. But you're powerless in, in the White House to stop the states from doing their own thing. It's diffuse for, for a reason. Marco Rubio, cut seven. At the core of our Republicans, legitimacy comes from people's confidence in the elections. And right now, you've got half this country that has doubts about 
the veracity of this election. And that's why the process that exists in the law, there's a process in the law that exists after the election, before the results are certified, that process is, has to be allowed to move forward. Otherwise, we're going to have a result here that half the country will harbor significant doubts about. And that's bad for the country. And you have to say, too, is it was hurts the president cases. The Republicans did really well. They were not supposed to hold the Senate. They lost McSally's seat. They won Doug Jones' seat. They retained the Tillis seat, the Collins seat, uh, which is unthinkable. It was unthinkable earlier. They didn't have anybody had Collins winning. And then Joni Ernst was winning one poll, and she takes Iowa. It was the same day. So if someone's voting, if someone's doing election fraud, they're 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 closing the gap in the Senate. They got 203 seats now, and they, as I mentioned to you, they did very well in state houses. They did very well in the Senate. So people had to break the line, even though the president got 71 million votes, which is the second most in the history of this nation, which is extraordinary. And it shows 2016 was no fluke. He picked up Hispanic votes. He lost white suburban women votes. No doubt about it, he lost some suburbs. He picked it up and made it up with the Hispanic vote. He remade the party. He set this party up for success. They are poised to take the House. And if they can hold the Senate, they'll likely take it in 2022. Why? To fund the police is the stupidest thing ever. We all knew it. Getting rid of the Electoral College is the stupidest thing ever. We all knew it. Packing the court has always been a dumb idea. We all knew it. And the filibuster, having simple majorities for all major pieces of legislation, is not the way everything was meant to be. We're not comfortable with it. There might as well be the House, just less people. And that's what was going to happen if the Democrats got the Senate. Now, they still could. If they take both seats, they got the Senate. But if, my goodness, in Georgia... Bad enough it didn't go to the president as of now. But are you going to flip all the way and give both your Senate seats in one cycle? That makes no sense to me. Here's Jim Jordan on why the president's fighting. Cut 11. If you said before the election, we're going to keep the Senate, we're going to, Republicans are going to gain 10, 12 seats in the House, President Trump's going to get 9 million more votes than he got four years ago, but he's not going to win. That's why 72, 72 million Americans instinctively know something's not right here. And if you just look at the state of Pennsylvania, where, the une, where, where, where unequal treatment of the voters in that state, some counties allowed voters to cure their ballots, some didn't. Some counties allowed pre-canvassing of ballots, some didn't. Some counties allowed a satellite voting offices, some counties did it. And you can imagine which counties allowed those things to happen. So... Uh, Jim Jordan's fired up. Uh, just about everyone in the Senate not named Ben Sass and Mitt Romney's fired up. But they all recognize the president's still leading the party. Joe Biden, yesterday as a press conference, five pre-picked questions from non-hostile reporters. They're not very accessible. We still don't know any of his policies. But in his defense, he doesn't officially have the job yet. He didn't get the call from the president. They didn't take the tour of the White House. First ladies didn't exchange pleasantries. We haven't done that. He doesn't get the uh, the daily brief. And he's not getting the GS, uh, GSA money to set up an office and start doing background checks. Cut 19. We are already beginning the transition. We're well underway. And uh, the ability uh, for uh, the administration in any way by failure to recognize this our win uh, does not uh, change the dynamic at all in what we're able to do. Okay. So don't worry about it. Relax, everybody, including Chuck Schumer. Lastly, the coronavirus. Concern about the number of cases? Yes. Hospitalizations? Absolutely. We'll, look, we'll go over it. But what about the timing? 
We hear about this breakthrough with Pfizer. I love it. The market soars about 1,000 points, ended up finishing up hundreds of points. We're close to 30,000, I say. The market is still up. Close to 30. High would be the highest ever. Oh, oh, one week earlier, the president doesn't lose this election. Moderna, the next day, oh, we got something too. Really? Eli Will, uh, Whitney. Eli, Will, uh, uh, Eli Lilly. Eli Whitney, cotton gin. What am I thinking? Eli Lilly. Oh, yeah, we got a therapeutic that think will work. If people are going to take this and they get the symptoms, it prevents the symptoms from getting worse. Really? Okay. Exactly what the president was asking for. You got to just remember this timing. It's not coincidental. Dr. Scott Atlas, who's taken so much derision since he accepted the president's invitation to come on board. Cut 39. This is the same person who said that we wouldn't we weren't going to have any kind of vaccine data this year, even though the president and I both said that we'd probably have some results, hopefully in October, uh, for sure, in in, uh, hopefully in November. And of course, as we read, the data uh, was chosen to not be shown by Pfizer in October. They just decided not to look at the data until after the election. And then, lo and behold, the vaccine is highly effective. There's all kinds of prognostications that were made, all negative, all to undermine what the reality of the timelines were, all to undermine the president. So, And I think, you know, once you do that sort of thing and make yourself a political uh, uh, animal, basically, you, you lose your credibility. And I believe he's talking about Anthony Fauci, Dr. Burks, and others who did not want him serving there. They didn't. They have a problem with his conclusions. They think he's a bad influence on the president. He has not taken a backward step. He has great pride in what he does, and he does believe we have to live with it, not run and hide from it. one 866 A few more books to give away with Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. I'll sign them and send them out for those people who served uh, on this Veterans Day. This, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Who won and who lost in the great Tet Offensive against the cities? I'm not sure. The Viet Cong did not win by a knockout, but neither did we. And the referees of history may make it a draw. Another standoff may be coming in the big battles expected south of the demilitarized zone. Quezon could well fall with a terrible loss in American lives, prestige, and morale. And this is a tragedy of our stubbornness there. But the bastion no longer is a key to the rest of the northern regions, and it is doubtful that the American forces can be defeated across the breadth of the DMZ with any substantial loss of ground. Uh, that was Walter Cronkite, February 2nd, 1967, talking about the Vietnam Tet Offensive. So I uh, remember when he decided the war was lost, the, 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 he couldn't get the American people back. Can you imagine having that much impact? You think the news is a big deal then? The world stopped at 6, 6.30 and then 11 o'clock. I think there was also nightly news at 11 o'clock. That's how powerful he was. Uh, Veterans Day, that's why we're doing that throughout the day. Winston, listen on WDBO. Hey, Winston. Hey, Brian. Um Forgive me if I sound a little nervous. This is the first time I've ever talked on the radio. Okay. Uh, you're um, a veteran, right? Yes, sir, but I didn't call to get a free book. Okay. Uh, what I want to talk about is uh, an easy way to fix this election stuff. I think uh, 
national elections should be should be standardized and local elections can be left up to the states to do whatever they want to do. I'm not and, sure that's possible, uh, Winston. I think that it's unconstitutional that we're supposed to decentralize for it. Well, and I, I also would like to get rid of mail-in ballots and early voting, and there's an easy way to fix that. Uh, people generally don't like to stand in line to vote, but there's plenty of places that can be open for, for uh, balloting. And if you have a good reason for gotcha. having, a, having a mail-in ballot, you can call your local uh uh, 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 yeah, there's got to be a reason. It, the whole problem is, Winston, the unsolicited ballots. That's what I think the problem is. You don't want a ballot arriving at your house. Every two years we move. The ballots never catch up with us. The people there decide to fill it out. Or at least there's, there, there's a sense that that could happen. And that's the issue, especially states that don't update their voter rolls like New Jersey and um, and Nevada. The President of the United States right now is at an event to commemorate uh, Veterans Day. Thanks for the call, Winston. And he is now saluting. Well, the Vice President has his hands over his heart, and the VA, director, the VA Director is also there as they have a moment of silence. And they play the national anthem right after uh, to commemorate those who fought in our wars and are fighting today. With us in studio, if you're smart enough to be getting Fox Nation, you see her, Martha McCallum, host of the story at 7 o'clock. Martha, it's good to see a living person. It's great to see you, Right, Brian. great it's to see you. It's been a long time. How are you doing? I feel like you, know, you were on for 24 hours. Well, uh, I've been watching uh, you every day, so it's nice to see you in person. So what are your thoughts here? And you're, mm. This is the year in which you put a book out about World War yeah. II. I have a lot of thoughts watching this this morning. This is the first time we've seen the president in several days. Uh, and he has come out to Arlington on a day in the pouring rain as the music is playing and people stand under black umbrellas to lay a wreath and it is a moving moment for always i think veterans day but you know the president has talked a lot about the mantle of being commander-in-chief he has fought to increase spending uh defense spending for our military and to improve the situation at va hospitals across the country and he's there with the va administrator as you mentioned brian but the there's a lot going on, obviously, in the president's mind. We are waiting for certification on all these states, and we had a split screen a short while ago of Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden, uh, the president-elect, and his uh, future first lady also laying a wreath at um, a memorial, a Korean memorial in Delaware. So I think that really shows you sort of the, the split screen of America that we're living in right now. Uh, yeah. I mean, we watched uh, Joe Biden yesterday say, uh, say, hey, listen, I'm doing the transition. I'm trying to do everything I can. But the president not acknowledging it is an embarrassment. Uh, he says to him and his legacy, the president obviously doesn't feel that way. Martha, I- I'm, I'm struck by the loyalty the GOP still has to this president. I think it's right to wait for a few days. He says, listen, we haven't even counted all the votes yet. I want to fi- I want to make sure this is certified first. But in a time in which, you know, politicians uh, change with the wind. The Republicans are rock solid behind him outside Ben Sass and Mitt Romney, who actually had some nice words to say about the president and the power he still has. I think they recognize the power of, of President Trump. 71 million. 71 million Americans. Uh, he has been able to move more state elections by showing up and campaigning for candidates across this country uh, than I think we've seen in a very long time. He's a force to be reckoned with. There is no doubt about it, but he has inspired a movement across the country that is not going to go away uh, if, if he you know, loses this election, which is certainly 
the way that it looks like it's going right now. So I, I think they would be wrong to to diminish him at this point and to not recognize that they would not be where they were uh, in, at this point without him. Yeah, uh, Lindsey Graham told us yesterday or the day before, he said, I told the president, he said, um, you know, if it happens, you don't win this thing. You're not going anywhere and uh, say, I'll do an Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. Mm-hmm. I'll be back in 2024. Do you think he would? I'm not sure. I, I don't think Ivanka or Don Jr. are next. I don't think that uh, I don't think that happens. I think there's only one Donald Trump. I don't think just the name will do it. As much respect as I have for them, I just mm-hmm. don't see it. But I mean, there's no. I mean, he knows no signs of slowing down. Whatever you think of Trump in 2016, it's the same guy in 2020. Absolutely. No, he has enormous energy. I think about him barnstorming those states in the final days Close of the, the gap election. I've never time. seen anything like that before. And yeah, if you look at the the red and blue lines in that final week. Um, it, it was remarkable how much those states came back up against a lot of things, obviously. I think that COVID is COVID-19 is, is what um, characterizes this larger era for us more than anything. And that's the reason that you had all these mail-in ballots. That's the reason that you had universal ballots in places like Nevada, which is a battleground state that they're still figuring out. So it's no big shock if the story of this poll watcher is true, that people were going through some of those envelopes that, you know, were got left over. I know lots of people in New Jersey right. where we had universal ballots where, you know, six other ones showed up in your mailbox. So Pete, it's not like there weren't some floating around. Yeah, Pete had a great point. He said it was great to see some of the Civil War veterans voting in Nevada. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, when we come back, oh, it's like Martha. funny, but it's not right. That's what James Baker wrote an op-ed today about that. It's not funny. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on FoxNewsPodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And it occurred to me how very fortunate you are that through our blood and your bonds, we crushed the Germans before he got here. I am simply a symbol. The ovation was for these men here. Remember this. You don't have to be a corpse to be a hero. There they sit. They're not corpses. How great is that? Uh, this is the first time I've ever heard this. That is the, uh, that's actually George Patton, mm-hmm. General George Patton, June 1945. Uh, the general was talking about the excellent job done by the Third Army during the World War II. He was in Boston, Massachusetts in June 1945. How great is that? Fascinating. Yeah, no, I'm he's he's so stirring and um <laughs> and and blunt, right? I mean, that that's Patton through and through. Well, it is, and you think it's you think it's George C. Scott. That, I mean, that was the greatest movie. <laughs> my my parents he does a said, great George C. Scott imitation, General Patton. Right, he does. He does. <laughs> Who did a great uh, Patton impersonation sure. too? Uh, and of course, he did the MacArthur movies and everything like that. Martha McCallum here. Martha, how many shows are you doing today? You doing the five? Uh, no, no, You're not, not okay. today. No, I, I'm doing the five. <laughs> okay. I know Martha wants it to be all about her. They try but... not to. They don't want us in the same room. Right, it's too much power. What if something <laughs> happens? How can the network continue? Um, but uh, great job all those hours. Have you figured out how many hours okay. you were on the air? Uh, no, no, <laughs> a lot, a lot. But you know, it's it's that's the way it is in an election year. We all do it, and um, we were up till about five in the morning, election night into the next morning, and. 
back about 8 a.m. So, but that's, you know, that that's what we love to do. And we love to cover these elections. And obviously there's a ton of controversy surrounding this one. But, um, you know, we do our job. Yeah, so right now the President of the United States looking to close the gap. First time we've seen him publicly, he has not walked over to the cameras. Not today Mm-mm. because, number one, he's not traveling by chopper. Where right. And number two, it's pouring rain. Yep. So it's going to be a formal press conference. Uh, his message, basically, I won the election twice. He, those were his two messages, which got a lot of criticism. But for the President of the United States, it's put simply, and you went over it. He called it. He said, this mail-in voting is yeah. going to be the death of me. And he also said, I went to bed, I'm up by hundreds of thousands of votes. I wake up and it's not even go to bed that night, that mm-hmm. morning. It basically is gone. And that's tough to swallow. He won election day, but he might not have won the election. Well, we had been told over and over, and he recognized it clearly because he was calling this out. I went back to, you know, August 21st, Trump warns mail-in ballot will bring fraud, that they were papering the states with ballots, right? So this has been something that's been on his mind throughout this entire period. And then we were told that because of the way the votes would be counted, those who walked into the booth and voted that day, heavily leaning to Trump, six in 10 voters, uh, would come in first and would make it look as if that side was doing well and that the later counted ballots were likely to trend towards Biden. And that's exactly what we saw and that ended up happening. You know, I just think... President Trump's an unusual uh, historic figure, right? He's highly contentious. People have very strong feelings about him Both on either ways. side. Um, but we know who he is, and I think that it's going to take him a little while to process this. And he needs, to, and he has the right to process it. These states have to certify. A lot of people say, well, the media, the media calls the election. We all know that that isn't true. What happens is when someone gets to 270 and the calculations are made that the that is a number that's going to hold, you point it out and you say that this person hits 270. So that's what that's what the media has done. The certification comes in the middle of November. And it's traditional in this country to call that person the president-elect when they hit 270. We did the same thing for President Trump, President Obama, President Bush, all down the line. But uh, the thing is, you have Michigan, 145,000. Pennsylvania uh, for Biden. Uh, uh, he's up in Pennsylvania. is Biden by 47,000. In the top counties with mail-in ballots left to count, Allegheny starting today, 12,000. Philadelphia is not going to be good for the president. 8,400 left to count. Montgomery, almost 4,000. Lancaster, 2,000. So where is this going to be in the end? Is the president still going to be trailing? More than likely, the answer, yes. That's why the experts projected he would lose. And he was winning big. Michigan off uh, losing substantially. Substantially, Wisconsin. I believe that's an automatic recount. Is that yes? Okay. You, yes, there there can be. It, it has to be inside one percent, which it will be. And yes, then you can ask for a recount. Georgia, uh, we think it's about ten thousand. There'll right? be a recount there as well. There'll be yeah. a recount there as well. So we'll see. Maybe in that recount, do they count the Senate recount too? They're not recounting the Senate, interestingly. Uh, you have to call for the recount. You have to ask for it. And at this point, there's, I think, like an 18,000-vote margin um, in that race, and they're not calling for a recount. It's you mean 18,000 short of 50? Correct. Because uh, Purdue, who, got, who would get 50%, right. was at 49.8. Yeah, deliver right? the Senate. To watch. That would deliver the Senate to yeah. the Republicans. The Dan Sullivan's filing in from Alaska is up 30 and then Some see, people today have we called the Senate Dan Sullivan race today. The New York Times uh, yeah. called it for him. We have not. So that's where that stands. Yeah, it's interesting. And bringing up that, Arizona down to 12,813. And mm-hmm. I heard you question the decision desk two mm-hmm. or three times during yep. the day. Yeah, it was, a, it was an odd 
development. Um, it did come early, and it sort of caught us by surprise when the call was made. Um, but they stand by it, and they say that in the end uh, they'll be proven right. But, yeah, there's still several thousand votes to count in Arizona. Right. So, and you have Jurgensen with one one percent, which could make a difference. Uh, Biden with forty nine point four percent. Right now, Trump with forty nine point five percent. Dave Bossi, who was down there, got the coronavirus. Yep. So I don't know who's running things now. Who else got the coronavirus? Meadows got the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, ben Carson got the coronavirus. Yeah, that's another number that's so interesting in the way that we look at this whole election. I looked back at uh, August tenth, and I had jotted down five million coronavirus cases in the country. Now we're at 10 million. So between in the in the heat of this election, right, September and October, you went from 5 million cases to 10 million cases. Now, you could argue that a lot of that is people get tests all the time now, right? So you're picking up a lot of cases that may have been there in the spring and in the summer, um, but now they're getting counted in a much bigger way. I know five people have it, and they did, all didn't know they had it. Yeah. And they they have almost, they have no symptoms. One thought uh, they had a runny nose, but it wasn't. It was allergies. So, uh, <laughs> nope. I've heard many many of those stories as well. So let me ask something. If Pfizer happened to put this study together and find out that ninety percent of the people in their study in the third phase, final phase, uh, uh, turns out this vaccine would be effective and it could be ready at the end of the month, do you think that would affect the election on I think Monday? If it had come out, I, I think if it had come out earlier, it. Of course, it could possibly have. Look at what it did to the mark to the market. I mean, that, all the anticipatory increase in those stocks is people saying, "You know what? I'm going to plan a vacation for spring of 2021, and I'm going to, you know, make plans. I'm going to do things. I'm going to fly on a plane somewhere." Um, yes, I think it could have had an impact. So here's the CEO of Pfizer. I think one or two days after the the first presidential debate, I wrote a letter to our employees and i said that some people want us to do it faster some people want us to do it slower i'm telling to all of you that we will move with the speed of science so if it was before i would have released them before if it is now i release them now i learn about those results uh, yesterday sunday at two o'clock okay that's honest but listen to what dr scott atlas said it might have been on i know this was laura ingram last night cut 39 this is the same person who said that we wouldn't we weren't going to have any kind of vaccine data this year, even though the president and I both said that we'd probably have some results, hopefully in October, uh, for sure, in, in uh, hopefully in November. And of course, as we read, the data uh, was chosen to not be shown by Pfizer in October. They just decided not to look at the data until after the election, yeah. and then, lo and behold, the vaccine is highly effective. There's all kinds of prognostications that were made, all negative, all to undermine what yeah. the reality of the timelines were, all to undermine the president. So, And I think, you know, once you do that sort of thing and make yourself a political uh, uh, animal, basically, you, you lose your credibility. Martha McCallum here. Martha, he is ostracized on that panel. They don't like him at all. Anthony Fauci mm-hmm. says, I got a problem with him. He's a smart guy, but right. says what the president wants to hear. Dr. Burks, evidently, reportedly, no one denies it, has said he's got to get off the panel. And he's frustrated. Yeah. I, I mean, he's been saying the things that he, he's been an independent voice on this since day one. You know, uh, he was putting out editorials about against the lockdown, that he thought that the negative impact of the lockdown would far 
exceed the positive impact of staying locked down. So he True. he's a very um, independent voice on this. But you know, the the timeline that he he speaks of is um, is tough to completely discount. And I, I want to believe this Pfizer CEO when he speaks because it. It, it just it smacks of something that had some and the other side of it is that the other executive at Pfizer came out and said we were never part of Operation Warp Speed just for the record and then you know of course they were they part were. of it so it that that stinks right that makes it look like they're they're making a political decision so that was a very unfortunate comment if uh, if they want to appear apolitical yeah it's just the government bought 2.5 billion doses from you but besides that you're not really participating let me ask you something if you're a company and you know and you have to hedge or you have to get out a loan and you say the government's already written me a 2.5 billion dollar check for the dosage i think you feel pretty good investing in that company or working for that company so we all know that's a joke why'd you go out of your way to say that uh by the way uh anthony fauci i am so done with him i have never seen him say anything of substance uh, that doesn't come out of an interview. He makes news depending on the type of question and who he's speaking to. The other day I see him doing a Zoom call with celebrities on Kim Kardashian's behalf. Should that be yeah. the where the 86-year-old veteran scientist is spending not. his time? Of you should be in not. a lab coat buried up to, your, uh, up to your elbows in different vaccines and therapeutics. You have more time to do press, and he'd be doing more if the Trump administration would let him. But every time he does something, he does so, he blows them up about something that he just stumbles into saying as if he's the nutty professor and has no yeah. idea the impact of his words. And I know it's just the opposite. No, it hasn't reflected well on him. He has a long history. He's worked for a lot of presidents. I think he got, you know, he felt undermined and he felt attacked. So he's lashing out and doing celebrity interviews. I don't think that's the best uh, the best route for someone in his position to take. Right. Although, you know, if Kim Kardashian needs to know, there's no reason just to tell her. You should tell celebrity <laughs> tell friends. Tell her friends. Yeah, that's what Zoom is for. Hey, let's go. Uh, let's go to uh, Scott, listen on WOKV in Jacksonville. Hey, Scott. Hey, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Are you a veteran? I am. Uh, U.S. Navy, six years, submarines back in 85 to 91. All right. I'm going to get Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, uh, for you. I'll sign and send it. We'll get your address. Uh, Martha McCallum's here. What's on your mind? Yeah, so I, I just want to draw a parallel between my service back in the 80s and uh, and now. And and. You know, I was on two submarines. We were part of a of a group of 41 submarines that we called 41 for Freedom, and we were we were we all understood we were fighting uh, the Cold War. We weren't hand to hand combat, but we were we all had a mission, and we understood it, and we were focused on that mission. And I draw that parallel to today because I think this election uh, chaos that's going on is more about uh, just President Trump and and Vice President Biden. This is an attack on our freedom, and we really need to understand that this is bigger than just this one election. This is this is an overall attack on one of the institutions of a free country. So wait a second. So you saying that you think there's massive election. fraud? I do. I absolutely think there's massive fraud, and I think it it was an offensive act. This is not something that we just kind of realized, uh, you know, as the election kind of unfolded. This started. Four years ago, this is a cold. This is an internal cold war inside the United right. States by the Democrats. To Scott, take but we have no proof of it yet. But I think in the big picture, 
it was okay for Hillary Clinton, for Jimmy Carter, for John Lewis, for uh, Jerry Nadler, for Chuck Schumer, all to say the president's illegitimate. Right, Martha? Yeah. It was okay. But this president takes a week to do this, and you're going to blow up the political process. Yeah. And this validates 2016. Getting I, these, I, to these I couldn't votes. agree more. I mean, how many excuses did we hear from Hillary Clinton about why she lost? And not one of them had anything to do with her. Uh, the fact that she didn't campaign in a number of very important states, the fact that she didn't really connect with the voters in a way that would propel her to the presidency based on what we've seen in electoral history, right, in terms of magnetic characters and people who win. Um, it, it, he, he was called illegitimate, not my president, right? This is not they my president. That. Yes. You know, for four years, a a three year investigation that yielded nothing that was bought into by lock, stock and barrel by most of the media across this country who didn't question anything. Right. So now they're they're asking about these allegations of fraud and people who are, you know, dead people who are voting. Now, I don't know if it's a handful or if it's something significant, but that's what we need to at least find out. Right. And we know the morning consult poll by Politico says that 78 percent say mail-in voting led to widespread voter fraud. Mm -hmm. Republicans, when asked, only 26 percent of Republicans believe the 2020 election was free and fair. Martha McCallum, a few more minutes. But if you have to leave now, no, she'll be on TV at seven o'clock today. Uh, Back in a moment on Veterans Day. In Korea, United Nations troops push on in the cautious advance against the communists. An advance whose purpose, General Ridgway states, is not to seize ground, but to wipe out the enemy. The Chinese Red Army, fighting desperately in small isolated stands, prefers to give ground on wider fronts rather than join battle. And it's up to the infantry to clear out the pockets of die-hard communists. On this Veterans Day, take a minute and thank them. Thank you for your service. Happy Veterans Day from the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Kim Delanian has some new reporting on something that we talked about at the top of the hour. How the Trump administration is handling the transition with the incoming Biden team or not handling it, we should say, to a certain extent. This time, it involves our intelligence community. Uh, Ken, what have you learned, sir? Okay. Uh, I think we lost Ken for a second. We'll try to get him back there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand how that happened. When someone tosses to you, could he not hear him tossing to him? I'm guessing he couldn't hear him tossing to him. But it was so perfectly timed. usually when someone goes, Martha, I don't, you know, let a couple of expletives rip. But, and I love the reaction. Okay. (laughs) Okay. 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 (laughs) So He's obviously, yeah, Ken's having a moment. We'll come back to him. Martha Callum here. She's hosting her show, The Story, uh, tonight at 7. But we just wanted to play that because when you toss out to somebody, a lot of times things go wrong, especially in this age of uh, Skype. Yeah. And we're on uh, Zoom. And, Absolutely. you know, we, you're tossing to people in their houses. But you, you shouldn't probably do that. MSNBC had to file... Uh, fire two contributors for contributing to Biden while being on the air, one of which was John Meacham, who I like and is genius, brilliant Wonderful biographer. Wonderful historian, great books on Bush 41, but, all of it. But but he was helping to write Biden's speeches. He wrote it. And then he was complimenting the speech on the air. Wow, what an amazing speech, so moving. And I didn't say... And I wrote it. I mean, in what pla- on what planet is that okay? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine if someone here like helped President Trump write his speeches and then complimented them and then, you know, and then didn't say, you know, well, actually, you know, I I had a hand in it. <laughs> it is it is going to be a crazy, crazy time. And the oh, one thing I take God. away, Martha, from Joe Biden's speeches that he gives every day now, it is going to be maybe it's welcome. It's going to be a boring world. If he becomes president. Honestly, I think that's what people wanted. I think that the basement strategy, you know, worked because I think that there were obviously a lot of people who wanted to take a breather. That he wouldn't have been able to do that without the pandemic. He would have been forced to be out there. No, it's all, the stars all aligned in, you know, in one way where that was concerned. We'll see what happens. How many times have I said that? See what happens. happens. Watch Martha at 7. I'll be on the 5 tonight. I'll be one of the 5. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.